You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, good morning. Welcome to the second uh, two lectures on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I think it, it'd be good if we began by reading the Lord's Prayer and then uh, praying and then uh, beginning. Uh, so let's, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, it's in Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through uh, 13, really 14. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll be happy to read. Uh, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you have left us uh, many prayers, but this one from the Lord Jesus that we could pray as a church. And we pray that uh, as we reflect upon it today, that through your Holy Spirit, you might make it meaningful to us and that we might grow in our, in our knowledge of you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so this is the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last uh, last uh, class, we... Uh, looked at an introduction uh, of the Lord's Prayer in its Jewish context. We, we saw how similar uh, the prayer of Jesus was to many contemporary Jewish prayers of his time, which is to be expected because he was a, a good Jew of his period. Of course, he was more than, more than just a good Jewish man, uh, but he was uh, Jewish. Uh, and we noticed that the uh, direction of the prayers where uh, you, what we call the three thou or you petitions, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, um, thy name be hallowed, uh, they are directed more towards God. And so if you look at the introduction under 1a, the Lord's Prayer began with the three you petitions. That is, petitions that directly had to do with the rule of the Lord on earth, the kingdom of God. One of the things that we concluded was that the first three petitions, your name be hallowed, your, uh, your kingdom come and your will be done, all have to do, they're all uh, variations of a theme. And the variations of the theme is the theme of the kingdom of God. And uh, all those petitions are asking for God's kingdom to come. That was the prayer. That's how Jesus instructed that to pray. The petitions didn't seem to have a lot to do with us and our needs. But, as we saw, the rule of the Lord, His kingdom on earth, has profound repercussions for our human existence. To experience the kingdom of God means <clears throat> the forgiveness of our sins. So, for example, remember when Jesus begins His ministry and He says, Repent, because the kingdom of God has dawned, is here. And then people come and are baptized, confessing their sins. When the rule of God comes upon the earth, one of the things that happens is that 
uh, his people confess their sins to him and he forgives them. So to experience the kingdom of God means the forgiveness of sins. It also means vindication of those who have suffered for Jesus Christ and also God making things right in our world. In short, the kingdom of God is God being the king, God being the ruler. When this happens, God would be the king of our lives, and this can only mean blessedness. Remember in the words of St. Augustine, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. So we saw that even though those petitions seemingly had nothing to do with us, yet because they have to do with God, they also have to do with us because his kingdom uh, here has repercussions. Uh, we had a little bit of a debate about the nature of the kingdom. Uh, what I suggested was that the kingdom of God is a, is a completely Christological category. Now, I'm sounding like a professor there. Um, to ask the question, where is the kingdom of God, of, or what is the kingdom of God, we must not begin with our own ideas of what that looks like, and impose that upon scripture. We should begin with the scriptural description of the kingdom of God and let that tell us if the kingdom of God is present or not. Do you see what I mean? For a lot of people, uh, they see something happening in culture, in society, which they may deem to be a good thing, and they say, ah, look, the kingdom of God. The question is, is that thing that you think is good, does it fit? Does it correspond to Scripture, with Scripture? If it doesn't, then it's not the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, you have to let the Bible tell you what it is, not us tell the Bible what, what it is. Okay. So I suggested that, that we keep that in mind, because otherwise, uh, I give the example, say that uh, uh, a mosque came and was uh, built, Let's pretend for a minute, uh, downtown Birmingham. Uh, and uh, people began to change their lives because they began to be strict adherents of Islam. Would you say that that's the kingdom of God present? You see, I would say no, because the kingdom of God is a Christological category. The kingdom of God is only present where Jesus Christ is becoming king over people, not when there is some abstract change of life ethical change of life you see now uh, typical theological liberalism says that wherever there is good in the world there is a kingdom of God but Orthodox Christianity has always said that the kingdom of God begins with Jesus Christ it's only where the Holy Spirit uh, opens the hearts of the people to have Jesus Christ in their lives that the kingdom of God uh, goes forward now that includes uh, doing good to people uh, the kingdom of God is not just this individualistic, independent idea of, oh, I received Jesus into my heart, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> it's much more than that. And uh, when, when we become Christians, we, we want to help the poor, uh, for example. And as we do it, we do it in the name of Christ. And that way, try to extend the kingdom of God. Okay, so any questions before we move on? Because last time, I, I, I think that that was a little uh, shady, um, so, so some of the people didn't uh, like it too much, uh, which is fine. Um, but uh, any questions about just the nature of the kingdom of God? Just what is the kingdom of God? 
there are good things that happen in this world, but they're not necessarily the kingdom of God. See. All right, let's move then to the to the second set of petitions, and they are the we petitions, not little we petitions. That's in Scottish, we little thing, but the we petitions, uh, first person pronoun. We notice that there are basically four petitions here. Uh, although the last one, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, can really be one, so that you have a beautiful symmetry between the uh, thou petitions in the first half of the prayer and the we petitions in the second part of the prayer. Notice the first uh, prayer, the first petition on, under Roman numeral 2a in your handout. It is a very earthy, very simple petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Was Jesus unique in instructing his disciples to ask for daily bread? Well, no. If you notice, I included here a prayer from the 18 benedictions uh, that the Jews pray. And listen to this prayer and see how similar it is to the Lord's Prayer. Bless for us, O Eternal, our God, this year and every species of its produce, so as to prove a benefit and grant a blessing upon the surface of the earth. Satisfy us with thy goodness, and bless this year of ours like unto the best of years. Blessed art thou, O Eternal, who blesses, who blesses the years. So very similar. Less, The prayer of Jesus is less wordy, uh, but, but again, uh, similar. Are you surprised that the first petition is for our physical needs? If I were to... Uh, well, if the Lord's Prayer didn't exist, and I asked you, what do you think would be the first thing that God would have you ask Him? In prayer. I'm sorry? Something tangible. Something, you know, that you, you actually need right now. Yes. Uh, I'm glad you think that way. Uh, I think other people might think of something more abstract or something more spiritual, right? Like, God, uh, help me to love you more today. Something like that. Or, make this world a better place. Or, uh, uh, some uh, high uh, abstract prayer. But, but, it's, but it's just, it's, for, for me at least, it's surprising that the first thing he says is, uh, he, he instructs us to ask for the daily bread. Um, the meaning of daily, just what it means here, daily is, con is contested. Uh, the Greek term that is used is rare. It probably means something like this. The bread that we need for our daily existence, please give to us this day. So uh, it's not a petition for abundance. Uh, it's a petition for God to give us just what we need for that day. Uh, and you should read this in the context of the next section of Matthew 6. We're not going to read it, but where he says, uh, be anxious about nothing, you know, uh, look at the birds and so on. Uh, so it's, it's uh, the daily necessary food that we need. It reminds me a lot of the book of Proverbs, where the, uh, the wise man of the Bible says, don't make me too rich that I may not forget you. And don't make me too poor that I may not curse you, but give me what I need. 
I'm not sure that I would have uttered that prayer uh, like that. Probably the first part. Uh, the last one, don't make me too poor. <laughs> but it says, give me just, give me just what I need. Uh, and that's, that's what's reflected in this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, the Lord cares about our physical needs. Right? Try to preach to somebody with an empty stomach. I think both the preacher and the hearer wouldn't be too happy. <laughs> they get grumpy and in a bad mood. Uh, so he he cares for this uh, for for this needs that we have of the body. Uh, Christianity is not a platonic religion, where what matters is uh, that we understand some ethereal ideas out there. The Christian religion is a very earthy religion, in the sense that God is the one who made the earth. He made it good. He made it for us, and therefore, uh, gaining our substance from it is a good thing. And we, he he commands us, directs us to ask him for our daily bread. Uh-huh. So, I mean, if you think about when Jesus was here on, on earth, whenever he would do miracles, they were all tangible. It was yeah. this person's sick, let me heal them. You know, feeding the five thousand. These people are hungry. You know, let, let them feed them. So. It, that, I think that's why, you know, I like the fact that that is the first one because that's what uh-huh. Jesus did when he was here. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good observation. And he feeds the five thousand, right? So he sees them and they have no place to go. It's late. He has compassion upon them and he feeds uh, the five thousand. Go ahead. Would that have recalled to their mind um, the Exodus and God feeding them daily, yeah. the manna that they needed? To yeah, pay? probably. It's really hard in Jewish tradition, after the Exodus and the manna, anytime bread is mentioned, it's really hard for them not to think of that episode, which was so dramatic in their existence. So yes. So in fact, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the, the Pharisees say, uh, uh, Moses gave us bread from heaven. What are you going to give us? My, uh, never mind that he had just healed someone. Uh, uh, and he said, well, it wasn't Moses, it was God who gave you the bread from heaven. Uh, so yes, I think there is, there is a re- correlation there. Uh, and the, the point being that God cares for our needs, and, and of course, bread is the, unleavened bread is the staple food. If the Bible were Chinese, maybe it would say, give us our daily rice today, or, I don't know, our daily tortillas, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but, but, but bread was, of course, the staple, uh, the staple food there. Let me see, was there anything else that I wanted to say about that? Um, well, when God was in the Garden of Eden, there was food right off the bat. Yeah, that's right. Don't eat the one in the middle of the garden. <laughs> but, 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 the rest is, is, but the rest is for you. Yes, yes. Uh, so this is, a, this is just an idea, by the way, of what the kingdom of God is, in a sense. Uh, when Jesus comes, he gives, he gives food to the people. He heals those who are sick. He forgives their sins. He cast out demons. Is God setting His rule? And when God is setting His rule, good things happen, not bad things. Um, so that's that's really important. On the other hand, notice that He did get upset with some of the people when He says to them, "You only came here because you got food for free." Okay. So there is the kingdom of God includes a commitment from the people that they're going to follow the Lord. It's not just give me some food and then I just go my my happy merry way. Okay, so that's the first petition. Is a, uh, and I think that could be extended to any any physical need, uh, not just eating. If you're ill, 
Lord, this day, please grant us your healing. Okay, the second petition uh, now moves to a more spiritual uh, dimension, even though it is envisioned in the context of a community. Because in 2b he says, well, 2b in my handout, uh, it's really verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's another similar prayer in the tefillah, the Jewish, that's what, as they are known in, in Hebrew, the, the 18 benedictions. Pardon us, O our Father, for we have sinned. Forgive us, O our King, for we have transgressed. For thou art he who pardons and forgives. Blessed art thou, O eternal, all gracious, abundant in pardon. So Jesus, Jesus coming from the Old Testament, knowing that, knowing his Old Testament is about his Father, after all, uh, has a similar petition. Just as the petition for bread is a daily reality, so petition for forgiveness of sins is a daily reality, assuming that we sin daily. Okay. Um, and in a sense, there is no shame in that. That's how it is before the re return of the Lord. We are going to sin daily. Uh, notice that in order to explain uh, our sins before God, Jesus uses an analogy. And the analogy is the analogy of debt. Uh, and I think it's good if we, uh, very quickly, uh, to clarify what he means here, if we read the parable in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, uh, because that puts some flesh, as it were, on this rather abstract here, forgive us our debts. So if you look at uh, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So Peter li lives in a real world. He knows people are going to offend him in the community. When they sin against me, how often will I forgive him? As many as seven times? Sounds rather generous. Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Okay, now he's going to explain. Why should you forgive him uh, 70 times 7? He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, uh, it's a lot of money. It'd be impossible almost to pay it in this lifetime. Certainly a servant could never repay that amount, 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So you can't pay, you have to go to jail and serve time. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's what you make in a day. A hundred bucks. <laughs> or something like that. Uh, he, the, the other, the co-servant uh, owed him. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So that parable really illuminates uh, the petition here. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Um, if you go back to page 2 in your handout, I make the point there that God's forgiveness of our sins is linked with our forgiveness of others. Not that forgiving others is a merit which earns us God's forgiveness. Rather, if we ask God to forgive us, but withhold forgiving, forgiving others, we are hypocrites. Okay? So, asking God to forgive our sins is irreducibly linked to our willingness to forgive others. If we say, God, forgive me, but I don't want to forgive someone else, it, it means that I, have, I really have not understood what it means for God to forgive me. For God to forgive me is not just to wipe away my sins, but also to change my life, to transform my life, to transform my life into one which is willing to forgive. If I don't want to forgive, then I really must not want God's forgiveness. That is the logic of Christ. Note that forgiveness is not something we do to make ourselves feel better. This is popular psychology. Now, of course you're going to feel better when you forgive somebody. But that's not the main reason you do it. I cannot tell you how many movies I have seen uh, where someone has been wrong and someone else is giving counsel and says, you must forgive that person, not for them, but for you. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's psychology. Uh, but it, it's not biblical. Uh, we, we forgive others because God commands us to. Whether we feel better or not, whether that person is going to uh, be more better inclined towards us, we do it because God tells us to do it. And yes, when we do that, we feel great joy. Any questions about for forgiveness? The concept here of we have a debt with God, He forgives us a huge debt, and then how could we not forgive the lesser debt that a human to human uh, they owe each other. Okay, so give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then comes the final uh, the final petition, which I think is often misunderstood. So let me spend let me see how much time we have left. Okay, we have a few more minutes. Uh, let me try to do the best to explain uh, this one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. Um, let me let me put it on you all and ask you all: <laughs> How do you generally understand when you when you come to this part of the prayer? What's in your mind? Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. If I may pry into your into your mind. <laughs> 
Well, speaking only for myself and not my wife, I'd say Oscar Wilde once wrote, I can resist anything but temptation. He's going to lead you because he's in charge. That would be my thought. You're asking him to stay your hand, drive it away. Good. That's a simple salesman's understanding of theology. No. Any other? Well, if you're in peace, you know, we do those things. The first thing you've got to be able to do is determine what it is. And if he doesn't do that for you, he's the one that's got to lead you out of it. I mean, if you do not know you're in it and it's happening to you, but you're, if you're going to be delivered from evil and you don't know you're in an evil place, then God's got to go in there like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah and took him out of there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got to be able to differentiate good from evil. Good. And you're, you're going to need God to help you to do that. Good, I think. Any other thoughts about what it is that we're asking? Don't, don't lead me into temptation. Does that open the possibility that God could lead you to do something evil? Yeah. See, this is, this is the problematic part. I, and I would suggest that the best translation uh, is, in fact, I don't know how many of you read uh, the Pope being accused of changing the Lord's Prayer. Did any of you see, read that in the news that, that came out recently? Where he had a, he had a problem with the... Leading into temptation because why would God lead you into some, doing something evil? Right. So he was questioning, I guess, that. Yeah. So, so the Pope, of course, who, who knows Greek, uh, Greek and Hebrew really well, uh, is saying that's probably not the way that that we should understand it. The way that is rendered in English, in Spanish, uh, is very similar, uh, and in French also is very similar to the English. Um, so, but the better trans, I think the better translation would be, and don't let us fall into temptation. I think that would probably be the better translation from the Greek. Don't let us fall into temptation. Not lead us. God is not going to lead us to evil. God could test us, just like he tested Jesus a few chapters prior to this in the desert, right? Uh, but God, uh, James reminds us that God does not tempt us to do evil. So I think the better translation would be, and do not let us fall into temptation. Now, what is he talking about there when he's talking about temptation? We, th- we think about temptation and perhaps we may fill that term with whatever is the biggest struggle that we have. Right? Lead us not into temptation, whatever. Well, Jesus was out there in the desert with Satan. Yes, <laughs> and, 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 and he didn't fall. A big dose of that. I don't think we get that one. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but look... Uh, let me let me try to unpack this a little bit. The key concept here uh, is the one translated. This is C on page two, translated as temptation is the Greek uh, pirasmos. Uh, this word is best translated as testing. The concept was common in the Judaism of Jesus' time. Uh, the concept of testing uh, temptation. It was believed that when God's kingdom was about to dawn, Satan would test the people of God to draw them away from God. To cause them to commit apostasy. So in the in the Jewish world of Jesus, the big temptation was that when the kingdom of God was coming, and what has Jesus said? The kingdom of God is here. But the big temptation was, the big fear was that when the kingdom of God was would be dawning, 
that Satan was going to try to draw people away to turn their backs on the kingdom of God, basically to commit apostasy. So the way that I understand this prayer is that uh, is we are asking God that when we are tested, that He will help us so that we will not turn our backs on Him and commit apostasy on Christianity. I think that's the prayer. So it's a much more profound prayer than simply, help me with this little sin here. Well, I don't know if they're little sins and big sins, but uh, help me with... It's, it's a much more profound is, Lord, help me not to turn my back on the faith. And we have a beautiful, well, it's actually a tragic example uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew of this. Remember when Jesus is in Gethsemane and he tells Peter, James, and John, pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's the same word that is used here. That you Basically, that you may not fall in the testing. Well, what happens to Peter? He fails the testing because he actually denies Christ three times. Uh, so Peter is an apostate. Just like someone else in the gospel denied the Lord. Judas. Judas yeah. Yes. The difference was that Peter returned. He repented. And Jesus had got him back. But Judas hardened his heart. And he, he did not come back. And so he was not received back. So the prayer is, basically help us not to fall like Peter. Help us not to deny you. The good news is that apostasy is not the last word in the Bible. Someone may turn their backs on the faith. And years later, perhaps the Lord may bring them back. Um, so that's that's really the prayer that we're praying. And and I think that this, this, this is so helpful because uh, whenever... And we all have our different trials, right? And our different problems and catastrophes that have occurred in our lives. But uh, I, for one, I know that I have gone through a couple of things in life where I have thought, is it worth following God? You know, something really bad happens to you and you say, God, this is the way you treat your children? Uh, and, and, and you feel like, what is this good for? <laughs> uh, I just want to walk away, away from the faith. Or maybe intellectually, it just doesn't make sense. And, and you, don't, you want to walk away from the faith. It is at that moment that Jesus says, ask God to help you. You cannot get yourself out of that thing on your own. You have to have the humility given by the Holy Spirit to say, I'm, I'm going to commit apostasy. I can't do it. I need your help. If I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other in my, in my Christian faith, I need you to help me. I just, I just can't do it. And he promises that he will deliver us. What about Adam and Eve's temptation? They didn't come back. He put them out of the garden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah. And and in this in this respect, with the asking for not not to let us fall into temptation, Satan is introduced. Right, there is an enemy. Uh, by the way, when he says deliver us from evil, probably the better you're going to say when you come out of here, this guy has changed the Bible. He's telling us that tra- <laughs> don't don't translate it this way. <laughs> uh, the best translation I think is deliver us from the evil one. Okay, it's really a subject. It's a concrete subject that Jesus is talking about. Not an abstract idea of evil. 
right? Deliver us from this abstract. Deliver us from the evil one who certainly wrecks evil on the world. But the idea is deliver us from the evil one when we are tempted by him to commit apostasy. How How is it that we're able to, by God's grace, to get out of temptation, to not turn our backs on the faith? Our backs on the faith. Well, if you look at the uh, the penultimate paragraph there on page two, only by prayer can we escape falling away when tested. Only by prayer. I've heard some people say, "It doesn't matter what happens to me. I'll never, I'll never turn my back on the Lord." Ooh, be careful with that. <laughs> I have seen people say that, and then something happens where they do leave the Christian faith. Just like Jesus prayed in the desert and at Gethsemane to be delivered from falling so that he would obey his heavenly Father, so we pray and ask our heavenly Father to deliver us from the grim possibility of falling away from him. Now, uh, some of our Bibles are going to have the, uh, the sort of benediction at the end. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Uh, the, uh, for example, I'm using this Bible today, the uh, ESV, uh, and this one does not have that, uh, that, that part. And that's because the, earlier man, the earliest manuscripts that had not been discovered when the King James Bible was put together, Right, so the the King James Bible depends on manuscripts that are really from the 10th to, to the 12th century, uh, but after that, in the 19th century and even in the 20th century, some manuscripts have been discovered uh, that are earlier than that, and they omit the uh, doxology of the Lord's Prayer. It appears that the doxology of the Lord's Prayer was added by Christians to the early texts. Uh, because it was just a fitting way to finish. Just like when we have the liturgy, and, and we finish a part of the liturgy, uh, glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, right? So it's fitting to finish a prayer with a liturgical statement uh, like that. And so it appears that that's what happens with uh, yours is the kingdom and the power and so on. Uh, should you pray it? Well, why not? <laughs> It's saying it's 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 giving glory to God. Just as we pray a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, why not pray a prayer from the Book of the Early Christians Common Prayer or something like that? So I don't see any problem with praying that uh, at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Just keep in mind that it is not in the in the in the better manuscripts. Okay. Any questions about this one? One of the things that I was going to say as well was that uh, going back to the, the forgiving of debts and linking that to not falling in, in temptation, in the testing. Let's see. Okay, two more minutes and we'll be done. Uh, is that that's a community that happens in community. And I, and I think you probably have seen this, but when someone apostatizes from the faith, what is one of the first things that they stop doing? Yeah, praying or coming to church, right? They leave the community, uh, which is just kind of what happened with Judas. He left the community. Peter left the community, 
And in fact, at the at the end of John, he, he says, I'm going fishing. <laughs> I'm done with this. But the Lord stands at the beach and calls him back. Feed my sheep. I'm not worthy, but Peter says, but, but I forgive you, feed my sheep. So Peter returned. Did he say three times? Three times, yeah. Do you love me? He's, he's getting at Peter. Peter was broken and he thought that I, I could be of no good to the Lord. But despite that, he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I have something for you, despite the fact that you have committed apostasy. So that's why I say that apostasy is not the last word. There is hope. To summarize, the bottom of the page and page 3, in, in this second section of the Lord's Prayer, we encounter a wonderful portrait of God as revealed by Jesus Christ. While God is the Lord and King, He is yet committed to taking care of our physical and spiritual needs. He provides us with the daily necessities of material life. But life is more than the material. Our spiritual well-being is also crucial. God knows that we are but dust and that we fail Him. But He's committed to forgiving and forgetting our sins. Asking for God's forgiveness means that we ourselves are willing to forgive those who wrong us. God is also conscious of an enemy, Satan, who tries to cause us to turn our backs on God. He wants us to ask him for help in these dire situations. Should we fail, he will restore us just like he did Peter, provided we return to him broken and repentant. Okay. Well, let's pray together and uh, finish there. Lord God, thank you for this wonderful prayer that you have left us. Uh, we indeed do ask that in temptation and the testing that happens in life, that when it happens, that you would help us not to fall, help us not to fail, but to turn towards you. We give you praise for uh, being a good God who forgives our sins. And we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.